And I think the truth is that mum has been, my mum, if, if you don't know, passed away uh, early on Tuesday morning uh, after having suffered a stroke a week and a half earlier. Um, but mum has been weak and at the point of death several times over the last five or six years. And, and the process of grieving is it, it, it's, it's actually as you see somebody slipping away from you over in, sometimes an extended period of time, you're grieving all through that. And then when the end does come, there's, there's actually a, a sense of sort of release um, from that. And uh, so it's, a, it's been a strange experience to go through. And obviously it's not one that we do very often, thankfully. But, um, but for your support, I'm going to say a little bit more about it in, a, in, a, in the course of this address because it, it is seeing what, uh, uh, well, actually, I'll, I'll explain it when I get to it, but um, <clears throat> my experience of this past week has inspired part of this address, as, as I will explain when I get down to it. I prepared this sitting at mum's bedside on Monday and uh, I'm tinkered around a little bit with it yesterday and this morning, but it's essentially, I prepared it all last Monday. Um, I've had two offers of help, one from Brian and one from Roy, to say, Jeff, if you, you know, we'd be very happy to sort of step up if, you, if you'd like us to, and I'm very grateful for that as well. Um, but because I have found it so, I, and Jeff, that excitement about this message and what, and what is in it, this passage of scripture, it's so rich. I'm really excited about bringing this, and, and I'm, and I'm going to be selfish. I don't want to give it to somebody else. I want it for myself. And uh, I'm, I must also apologize for one other thing, um, and that is that when I was the minister here, I did tend to get kind of carried away a bit and, and would, could go on easily for 40 minutes. And I know Tim said 20 to 25. It's five past. So if I finish at half past 11... I'll have been a good boy. I'll do my best. <laughs> One little anecdote to start with. A couple of years ago, um, I took my daughter, Faith, um, to buy a new car. But as part of the buying, we bought the new car, or she bought the new car, at uh, Yeovil. But she had another car that she'd had a very good offer from, from a garage up near Bristol, very close to Bristol Airport. And, uh, and so I, I followed, I'm trying to, how do we do it? Yeah, I followed her up to the Bristol, then I had to take her in my car down to Yeovil, and then I followed her back from Yeovil to home. And, uh, and she sold the first car for £8,000. And, uh, and I'm not sure this is terribly wise, but this is what happened. Um, we went in and the guy took the car and he went to his safe and he took out, there was absolutely wads, wads of money in this safe. And he counted out 160 £50 notes. And... Uh, and then Faith gave them to me, look after these, Dad. <laughs> and I, I have never held as much money in my hand, um, uh, uh, well, ever, I don't think. Um, I mean, I know in the big scheme of things, £8,000 may not be an absolute fortune, but when you're holding it in money, it's, it does seem very, very special. And, uh, and it made me think, I've seen the crown jewels up at uh, the Tower of London, which are of, of phenomenal wealth, and, uh, but they're behind thick glass and there's all sorts of security and you can sit, but to actually to hold 8,000 in your hand is very, very special. And, and I'm just, think, just talking about wealth and the, the value that we place on things because this passage before us today is one about uh, many things, but it's about wealth, it's about riches. 
about things that really matter and count and are precious. And, uh, and so 8,000 or even the crown jewels don't not, do not compare in any way with the words that we had on the screen just a few moments ago. Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we read, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Incredible. Wonderful. First point, mystery and controversy. Is it going to come up? Good luck. Yes. Oh, that's the title, The Call of Everyone. Mystery and Controversy. As with anything that is wonderful and is rich and is valued, people are going to have different opinions about it uh, and and they're never going to be able to plummet its depths and there is the mystery but there's also going to be controversy. And if you want controversy, there's absolutely bags of it within this passage. And historically, this passage, among a few others, has divided the church dramatically. Indeed, one of the divisions would be, we Baptists tend to follow one tradition, and then guys up the road that are called Methodists follow another tradition. We're Calvinists, they're Arminianists. Don't worry about the terms, but this passage has divided people and kept us apart. And, and in that sense, it's tragic. I'm not suggesting that's today, but that's historically what uh, has happened. And, and, and if you're really into Baptist history, don't come back and challenge me, but we've, we've not always been Calvinistic, I know. But that is what has won the day within Baptist life. And, uh, and other churches also, have, have, but they're not as clear as, as we two denominations are. So there's mystery as to the depth of meaning that there is within this passage, but there's also great controversy. And I'm going to solve the controversy this morning. Thank you for laughing, because I'm not being serious. But I'm going to point in certain directions. And I also must say, this is really, really important, I'm going to tell you what I think. And I'm retired. I'm no longer the minister of the church. There is another wonderful minister here, and his name's Tim Parkman. And what I say must not be deemed to be what he wants. So I can be controversial... I can r- ruffle a few feathers, but, it, but, but don't leave the church because of me, because I'm, I'm, I'm finished, technically, in that sense, and it's Tim. <laughs> but there's, I've got four main points, and then some bullet points, and then some other bits and pieces. Here we go. And I go fairly quickly on some of them, and then develop the points on some of others. Firstly, God, and here we are, Paul, another bullet point. God chose us before the foundation of the world. If science is right, uh, and I haven't checked my facts, but I kind of got in the back of my mind that planet Earth was created about six billion years ago. Uh, Paul's kind of not uh, roughly right. The whole of creation, according to science, is 13.7 billion. But the Earth is younger, obviously, because it's not part of the very beginning. But six billion years is quite a time. I don't know when Paul was writing this whether he was, he wouldn't have done about six billion or 13.7, and he may have drawn on the picture that we have in Genesis 1, which is a simpler version of it and, and doesn't 
doesn't anticipate those great lengths of time. I don't want to be controversial about this point. I've done that in the past. But if science is right, and the world is six billion years old, God chose us, that's me, and it's you, and it's the people up at Wesley, and the, everywhere, all around the whole world, that, that, that have faith in Christ. Not just today, but all the way back to the time of when he was on earth. Paul is claiming that God chose us in him, in Christ, be, well, in fact, before, so six, 6 billion or 13.7 plus, uh, before there was even time. God chose us. Which means that our lives are no accident of birth. That our coming to faith is no just sort of bit of good luck that we met this person or we were born into this family. I said last week that I owe everything in terms of my faith to my parents. I would not be a Christian as far as I know if it weren't for my parents. But the passage says, but God chose me and he chose you and he chose all, all those that are believers before the foundation of the earth. There's another lovely little passage, it's in Psalm 139, and Tim and um, Carolyn, you've, you've got a song that you did to this, isn't it? Which is about how we were known in our womb, in our mother's womb, God knew us. But this passage doesn't go just back to the time when we were a, a fetus, but, but goes back before creation. God brought all things into being, that's what the claim is here, with the purpose of not least knowing you and me as people that he would love and be loved by, and be created for eternal fellowship with God. This is incredible. But it's not just about God having this sort of vision for us and plan for us. The next little point is that God has planned our calling from very far off. And in one sense, it's a little bit like a couple get married and they hope to have children and they plan and they think about it and then they... Then there's pregnancy and there's the thinking about the names and, uh, and then the birth comes and, and, and the, the, the cot and the, everything's all... This passage is a little bit like that as well. That it's not just a dream that God has, but there's an actual preparation and getting things ready. He plans our calling from far, far off. <clears throat> and it's... As I said a moment ago, it's no accident. It's very, very deliberate. This is, the, this is the Calvinistic understanding. Going back to John Calvin. Incident, there are many sort of views that emanate out from John Calvin, and, and I belong to that tradition, but, um, but, but not to one form of it. And one form of it says this, that if it's true that God has known us, and he's called us, and he's planned it, and he's brought it about, what about the rest? Because Paul is speaking to believers. Go back pre-Jesus. Go all the way back to about another couple of thousand years to, to almost that, to Abraham. And God called Abraham to be one out of all the people on earth through whom, and I said this last week, he would bring the message of hope in God to the world. And God had said to Abraham at the very beginning, through you, all the families on earth will be blessed. But I'm taking you, just one family, and I'm going to work through you out to the rest. And that comes down to Jesus, who 
was everything that God wanted in Abraham and his descendants, but made perfect. But what about those that aren't chosen? Now, some parts of Calvinist teaching, in fact, most of it today, unfortunately, goes along with something that's also been called double predestination. God chooses some for salvation, and he chooses some not to be saved. Does that shock you that I should say that? But it's widespread among evangelical churches. That God calls someone, that's great, we're saved. But what about the rest? And not just our neighbours or colleagues at work or the people that we see on the television. Sometimes it can be very close to us. Members of our own family that don't believe. What about them? How can we get excited about God and about salvation if, if we know that there are others that are, that are not enjoying it? We sang a song at the beginning, and I, I was thinking about it during the week without realizing it was going to come up. Come now is the time to worship. And then it goes, and I'm trying to quickly think of the, the second line, the, the second verse of it. But it's about... Tim, can you... Can you confess you as, one day every tongue shall confess you as God. One day every knee shall bow. But the greatest treasure now is, though you now, is that right? One day every knee will bow, but now, and I, I think that, that song, so simply written, is, is perfect in what it says. And I nudged Janet at the beginning, and I said, hey, this is what I'm going to be talking about this morning. One day, and I'll level with you, I would call myself a potential universalist in that I believe that God wants to save everybody. I say potential because I can't... I, God's the judge, not me. But I believe with all my heart that the, 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 that the heart of God is for everybody, no matter who they are, to bring them to himself so that everyone might have eternal life. I cannot speak for those that would, would absolutely refuse to, to, to acknowledge God either in life or in eternity, but, but that's, that's what I believe, and I've struggled with these ideas since I was in my mid-twenties, and I'm 70 now. That is what I believe God is about, and that's what I believe our faith is, that God calls. Come back to the idea of predestination and God's calling and God's choice, God's love for you and God's love for me. It is that we might know him, and, I, and I'll expand on this a bit further in a moment as well, but it's not to the exclusion of others, it's because of others. Not least so that the way that we live has an impact upon other people. God's calling is, and this comes to the third point, God's calling is that we might be a holy people. We might be different. We might exemplify something. We might have an inner joy and an inner peace and a way of life that is attractive because it's of God. Although some who don't want it will not want us. We have to face that. But God's calling is that we might be a holy people. The root word or the root meaning of holiness is just to be different. Not different for the sake of it, but different like God. 
Moving on, the fourth point is this, that believers are marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. It was there in the reading. We're marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And a couple of sort of minor points under this. From God's point of view, the gift of the Spirit that he gives to you and me and everyone that is in Christ is a sign that we belong to God. 18 months ago, I went to change my car. I've got a kind of four-year rolling thing. When it gets to four-year-olds, I take it back to the garage and see what they can come up with. And I looked around the showroom at all the lovely, shiny new cars. You go and sit in them and think, oh, I like this one. And, oh, I don't know, well, this is even better. And then I went to one car and the door was locked and I couldn't get in it. And then I went around and I saw the sign sold on it. This one's gone. Somebody else has claimed this. You can't have it. <coughs> Essentially, that's what this means. This thing about being sealed with a sign of the Holy Spirit. God says, you're mine. No one else can touch you. I protect you. I love you. You're special to me. I've claimed you. I've bought you. Thinking of the blood of Christ. You are mine. But from our point of view... The work of the Holy Spirit brings about change. And I think one of the themes that we've had in the church over the past few weeks is that change is what God wants. From, from a world that's broken in so many ways, change is required in order to put things right. And the way that God chooses to do it is to draw people to himself, that we come humbly before God and acknowledge his, his, his reality as best we can, that we seek to understand how it is that God loves us and deals with us and takes our lives. And I'm going to say in a moment, we're not, we're not totally rubbish. And sometimes, as Paul was saying, you can say, we can say nice things about one another, but we also know that we're broken. We're, at, least, at least we're like a... Do you ever watch sometimes Bargain Hunt on television? And someone will come up with a lovely sort of dish that's absolutely... But it's got a crack in it. And we're all a bit like that. None of us is perfect. Our value, in one sense, is diminished because we're cracked. Sometimes the crack can be very severe. Sometimes we can be broken right in half. <coughs> but we're not beyond fixing. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is that God's process of making right the whole world starts in our lives. Not using the passage that was asked today, but another of Paul's writings, in the book of Galatians, in the fifth chapter, he speaks there of nine qualities. He calls them fruits of the Holy Spirit, actually fruit in the singular, of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control and there probably are others that Paul could have but he picked out nine of nine qualities and said this is the fruit of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control I know them off by heart because I examine myself according to this when I'm impatient I get impatient when I act in a way that isn't kind I'm I'm frustrating. This is not what God wants for me. This is not his plan for me. Take myself in hand. 
redirect, refocus. And the Spirit helps me. He's, and it's part, he works through my conscience, and he, he, I suppose it's supremely. And hopefully most of the time when I fail, no one sees. But I'm deeply ashamed if somebody does see. I want to be perfect. I want these qualities so to fill my life and characterize what I am. But that is God's plan and purpose. That's why I've been called from afar. That's why I've been predestined. That's why God has wrought faith in my heart that I might be this kind of person. And not just for me, but for the sake of all those that are around me, for my family, for my friends. And, 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 and it's a long time since I went out to work, but I still go to the shops and I still, I still do things out in the community. That I want to be that kind of person that has a good impact upon other people. That I'm honest that I'm kind, that I'm considerate, that I'm respectful of others. I'm, I'm adding other words in, but these are all aspects of that, those same qualities. God has given me, given you, the Spirit, so that we can be different, so that we can be helped to be what God wants us to be. And then, I'm, I'm getting close to the end, but I want to develop this point just a little bit, or my time's gone. Give me five minutes. The gift of the Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing God's renewing of the world. The gift of the Spirit is way God's way. It, it's a sign that we belong to God, that we're his chosen, precious, purchased person. But it also comes, or I should say he, the gift is an it, but, but the Spirit is a he. It's a, it's a guarantee if God has started, you remember Magnus Magnuson, and they, they still do it, with, with, with um, the, the big black chair, um, mastermind. I've started, therefore I'll finish. Uh, it was, was the sort of slogan that goes with that, with the, with the final question. Have I got the right program? Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> and, um, and this is essentially saying that I've started something in you. I've started it, I, 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 I initiated or inaugurated it in Christ. And then the disciples, and then those that believed in them, and all the way down to us and around the world. I've started something, and, I'm, and that's a guarantee, therefore, that I'm going to bring it to completion. But I've struggled with something this past week, and it's not merely mum. And incidentally, it's not just this last week, but it's coming to sharp focus for me. My experience of Derriford Hospital... Oh. Oh, this is a bit of a blow. I brought some bits. I've left them. Oh, no, they're down on the floor. <coughs> no, they're not. Oh, I've left them in the car. Never mind, I'll just have to explain as best I can. I brought two blank pieces of paper, and I was going to hold them up and say, on these pieces of paper, this week I'm going to write some letters. One is going to be to Rowan House, where the youngsters have gone to today, because they provided the care for Mum, and I wanted to say thank you. And how wonderful, over three years, the care has been that we've received from Rowan House. If, if ever you're in a position where you want carers, go down to Rowan House. They're brilliant. They're absolutely great. There's an advert for free. <laughs> Second, um, the other letter was going to go to, and I'm not quite sure who to address it to, but essentially the trust that is responsible for Derriford Hospital to say to them 
because they get many, many complaints. And you hear it constantly on the news. Of this, the NHS does this wrong and this person isn't happy. But I tell you, what Janet and I and mum, as patient and as family, have experienced these past couple of weeks at Derriford has been something I can only say equates with the fruit of the Spirit. Mum was looked after absolutely perfectly with kindness and gentleness and care par excellence. And so were we. Little example is that they, they knew that our situation was, des was, was difficult. I know you said desperate, but, it, but difficult. I didn't mean desperate, I meant difficult. And so, you know, as you go up to, to Derriford, you get, you, when you go in, you get this little yellow thing to go in the car park. If you've been up there and you know what I'm talking about, they said to me, just take that down to the office, and, they'll, and they just put it on this little machine, and it cancels it. And you, you haven't got to worry about the time. You spend as long as you like here, and, uh, and you park for free for the whole of the time that Mum's in here. And then I was doing that, fairly near the beginning of the time, and the man that's on the desk there... When I gave it, he took my hand and says, um, we're thinking about you. Complete stranger. We're thinking about you. We know what you're going through. Because he knew that mum's name was on the list of people that were not expected to come out. Such kindness. The, the staff people said, just, you feel free if you, you want a cup of tea or a coffee or something to eat, you just ask us and, and it will be there. And they, they made us feel so absolutely welcome. I come back to the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those very things that I want for myself and I believe that God wants for God's people. I saw them in the people, in the nurses and the doctors and even the consultant and the man on the, responsible for the parking. And so I ask myself, <laughs> is this the fruit of the Spirit? Or, and, and I'm going to throw the other thing that's in my car. It is, I received at the beginning of the week a publication from BMS. Mary, you've probably had it. And it, there are two magazines that come. And one of them is called Catalyst. Have you got one? Have you read it? Ah! <laughs> <coughs> it, it was by a man called Simon Jones who is on the staff at Spurgeon's Theological College, training Baptist ministers, and it also describes him as an ex-croupier at Caesar's Palace, Las Vegas. <laughs> so he's had an interesting journey through life. But he said one of the things that he was doing last year was, was going over every week to what they call the jungle at Calais. You, you know where, where the migrants were trying to get into the UK. And he said there, and he's talking about where do we find God and God in unexpected places, and he cites particularly, he said there was a Muslim in whom he could see the presence of God. He said there was a, a Buddhist monk in whom he could see the presence of God. He said there were Christians in whom he could see the presence of God. But he couldn't distinguish. He said it's not about religion. It's about what God is doing.
And so, what is God doing? Why do we call, why did Paul, albeit in a different place, speak about the fruit of the Spirit, these qualities, love, joy, peace, and so on? Because, when a, because if God is wanting to save the whole world, and remember, every single person, whether we are a believer in Christ or a believer in some other form of religion, or, or we have no faith in anything, we are all of us made, according to Genesis, in the image of God. We are all, in a sense, God's children. And God loves his great worldwide family. But his way of bringing his chosen way... And, oh, my final point is going to be the great denouement. Let's have the next bit up, please. Denouement means, it's a French word... Here it comes. And finally, it means the, the, the revelation, the unfolding, the, the revealing of everything, the making clear at last of the mystery. And Paul says here very clear, clearly, God has made known the mystery of, or, or to us, God has made known the mystery of his will. Those that do not believe do not know. It is just a mystery. What is life about? Where is it heading? What is God's plan? Is, what's going to happen to our, our planet with all its troubles? But God has said, look, I love this world. I made this world. I'm going to come back to this world. I'm going to make this world right. I love all its people. There is hope for everybody. And I'm working. And I come to some and I call them to faith. I've planned it from afar. It's always been my strategy. And I bring you to faith in Christ who died for your sins. And I give you the gift of the Holy Spirit so that the, the, the goal of making everything right will be achieved. He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. People have written entire books on this chapter or this passage We've tried to do it, and I'm ten minutes over. Amen. <laughs> ten.